I worked in human services for over 40 years, specializing in gerontology. And in that time, I had the privilege of walking with many people in the last days of their life and co-founded the Fox Valley End of Life Coalition, which is now known as the Fox Valley Advanced Care Planning Partnership. As a part of that mission, I was trained in and facilitated healthcare power of attorney and end-of-life conversations and the completing of documents. It is often said that we teach what we need to learn. It led me to be more comfortable with initiating my own conversations with my significant others and my doctor. I had and continue to have those conversations and have completed my planning documents. I am more comfortable with the idea of getting to the end of my life, but I'm not really ready to meet my death yet. One of the lessons I learned is that how we think about our own end of life is largely influenced by the deaths of those closest to us. Our experience of their experience influences us, influences us at all levels. This became very real for me with the passing of my mother. In 2003, my mother was a healthy, active 76-year-old who was living alone in her own home when a virus rapidly and permanently destroyed the functioning of her kidneys. With such a dramatic health incident, my mom, sister, and I craved accurate information trying to understand what was happening and what the treatment options were. As a result of some very focused homework, my mom chose dialysis in a center. Indeed, three times a week for nine years, for four hours. And she took specialized transportation to a center and then came home quite weak to rest for the remainder of that day. But it bought her some wonderful times and experiences. Two of her grandson's wedding, one in Las Vegas and one parading in an Indian wedding ritual with another. She continued her very active volunteer work on her good days, driving, living independently, and to affirm that while those treatments were very difficult, they were worth it. She developed great relationships with her kidney doctor and the staff at the center. They became like family. However, as she lived into her mid-80s, she began asking questions of her doctor, her pastor, and her daughters about what if she ended treatments. My mom began to say to me that she was getting tired and increasingly she didn't wish to go out. The three times a week dialysis outings were not a life. She had decided to stop, but wasn't sure about when. My sister was not at all comfortable and refused to have these conversations with my mom. I supported her decision and promised I would be there to care for at home. Um, so I began to work out of my employer's office in Eau Claire and spend more time living with her. That was a blessing. We had great conversations, lots of time to say those things so important at any times of our lives, but particularly near the end. Thank you. Forgive me. I forgive you. 
and I love you. It is acknowledged peacemaking put in writing by Dr. Ira Bayak in his book, The Four Things That Matter Most. On my last work week there, I was getting ready to leave. She woke, at, she woke up at 6 a.m. and made her famous poached eggs for me. We hugged each other, spoke our mutual love, and she waved at me from the picture window, as was always her practice. The following Friday, she did not answer the door for her dialysis transportation, and my sister, her emergency contact, arrived to find that she had died in her bed. The fistula in her arm that had been created and facilitated her dialysis had been growing increasingly weak. It had given way and she died of blood loss, mostly in her sleep. It was shocking for us. But as the day went on and I was traveling to be there, Words from my mother's beliefs came to my mind. God opened the door and she walked through it. I am so grateful to have walked this journey with her. Thank you, Beth. I start with these words from the Reverend Forrest Church, a Unitarian Universalist minister who died in 2009 after a long experience with cancer. These words come from his final book entitled Love and Death, My Journey Through the Valley of the Shadow. Quote, death is central to my definition of religion. Religion is our human response to being alive and having to die. We are not the animal with advanced language or tools as much as we are the religious animal. Knowing that we must die, we question what life means. The answers we arrive at might not be religious answers, but the questions that death forces us to ask are at heart religious questions. Where did I come from? Who am I? Where am I going? What is life's purpose? What does this all signify? Death, Forest Church writes, is not life's goal, only life's terminus. The goal is to live in such a way that our lives will prove worth dying for. The one thing that can't be taken away from us, even by death, is the love we give away before we go. End quote. Here at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship, we participate in a non-creedal tradition. This means that we do not have a set statement of beliefs that you need to agree to in order to belong. So among our ranks, we have a wide range, a wide diversity of belief about God or no God, about life and the afterlife. We admit that we aren't sure about a lot of things and that that's okay. But one thing of which we are certain is that we are given this life as a gift and that we must use it to the best of our ability. We focus here not on beliefs, but on actions. And so we know that because life is a gift and because it is limited, this means that we believe life to be infinitely precious. We are not waiting for a coming eternity. The days we have 
are not promised to last forever. They are a limited commodity. Our days are a miraculous gift, and we are called to use them with responsibility to improve the world and share our love. As Forest Church said, the goal is to live in such a way that our lives will prove worth dying for. And so as a people of faith, we spend our time focusing on life, not death. We don't worry too much about afterlife here. We're definitely not trying to save anyone's soul. That all goes back to the idea that we have different beliefs. But because we focus so much on life, we can forget that death is a reality. Today, in this, our fourth Sunday of Monster Month, we're talking about ghosts. So far, we've explored conspiracies with Bigfoot and Nessie, being out of control with werewolves. We've looked at the risk of othering people as we considered witches. And next week is our Halloween service, the power of masks. Feel free to come in costume next week. I will. But today, ghosts. Ghosts are a part of many cultures around the world. Some believe them to be kind and beneficial and helpful, while other cultures believe ghosts to be scary and dangerous. Often, ghosts are believed to be restless spirits, those who have unfinished business here on Earth. And so they linger here, trying to get that business finished. In an effort to avoid becoming a restless ghost, we encourage you to consider now that life is limited, that death is a reality, and that making your plans is the most loving thing that you can do for those that you will leave behind. And it will put your own mind and spirit at ease. The Buddhist path allows for this reality to be contemplated regularly. The first of the Buddhist four noble truths is that life involves suffering and death. Stoicism also has a spiritual practice of contemplating one's own death and the grief of losing important people or things in our lives. This reality that none of us are going to get out of this alive can free us from the clinging that can happen to ideas, to fear, and worst of all, to stuff. It also can give us gratitude and joy for the time, the things, and the connection that we do have. But because our society allows us to forget, and our society is working more and more at allowing us to forget, to forget that we will die, then we go about our lives as if we will live forever. We don't want to make plans or talk about what we hope for in death. We can't always choose. Sometimes death comes suddenly, an illness, an accident, a heart attack. Sometimes we're given a little bit more warning. And when death comes with a little warning, we want to be able to get as much life as possible out of those last weeks, days, or hours. And for each person, quality of life might mean something different. Surgeon Atul Gawande talks about end of life and the medical obsession with extension of life at all costs in his book, Being Mortal. The central message of the book is that we need to talk early and often 
about what end-of-life treatments and trade-offs that we consider desirable or tolerable. Well, if I'm able to eat chocolate ice cream and watch football on TV, then I'm willing to stay alive, a spinal tumor patient tells his daughter. I'm willing to go through a lot of pain if I have a shot at those two things. That crucial insight guides the daughter through tough decisions when a subsequent spinal surgery goes wrong. The most poignant storytelling in the book deals with Gawande's own father, who also develops a spinal tumor. For the senior Gawande, also a surgeon, ice cream and football are not enough. His fear of paralysis dictates a different set of treatment choices. These examples illustrate that there's no right answer and no wrong answer either, other than, gosh, doc, I don't know what she would have wanted, so I guess you better keep going. The kindest and most loving thing that you can do for your family and friends is to tell them what you want at the end of your life, to make your wishes known so that they can be prepared for that hopefully far off inevitability. It's important to have this conversation with our loved ones about what we want, how we want to be cared for, what kinds of medical interventions we do or do not want, and what we want to be done with our remains after we die. The paperwork is crucial. A medical power of attorney, for example. But alongside that paperwork, and perhaps even more important than the paperwork, is the conversation. No one loves having this conversation. It's not that fun. But it's the most loving thing you can do so that when the time comes and you are nearing the end of your life, your children, your parents, your spouse, your loved ones are not shocked by the decisions you put in your paperwork. Mom said, what? You do not want that to be the result. And that we want them to all be in agreement about what you wanted. Oh, yes, we know this. That's what we want them to say. And in order to have that conversation, you have to think about your own wishes. What do you want? What do you prioritize? Chocolate and football? Or is it your mobility and independence? Do you want to be completely free of pain? Or are you willing to tolerate pain because you want to be awake and aware for as long as possible? If you aren't sure what your priorities are, I encourage you I encourage you to borrow one of these decks of cards from me. I only have a few left, but I'll order some more. It's set up like the game Go Fish, but it's called Go Wish. On each card are different priorities, and you can work with your loved ones to each find your priorities for end of life. I have lent these cards to several congregants, including John Riapel, who you might recall was a member here who died from stage four pancreatic cancer after a short battle with that illness this past spring. He and his wife, Diane, expressed their appreciation for these simple cards, how they help them think and plan ahead. If you want to think a little bit about your own memorial service, what your wishes are for that, you can meet with me or with our assistant minister, Allie. We would be happy to help you think about readings, music, and other elements that would be meaningful in your memorial service. I recently officiated two memorial services in which the deceased left clear instructions about what they wanted, including hymns, 
and songs. It was a joy to be able to say to those who were gathered, your loved one picked this song. Then they enjoyed it that much more for that reason. We keep a file in our office for everyone who wants to share with us those wishes and how amazing it is for your loved ones when they call our fellowship office to let us know that their loved one died, to hear us say, oh, I am so sorry for your loss. Yes, your father has a bunch of stuff here that he would like for his memorial service. One of our ministers will work with you to plan the service. What a relief for them. Now they don't have to worry about guessing what you wanted. If you want to see a memorial planning form, we have a link at the bottom of the page of our website for rituals. So go to our website, fvuuf.org, click services, and that will bring a drop-down menu, and you can choose rituals and ceremonies. And on that page, fvuuf.org, services, rituals and ceremonies, there are links at the bottom of the page to help you with advanced directives and also to help with planning your memorial service. When I meet with people who are sick or dying, they often tell me they don't care what happens when they die. They don't care if they're cremated or buried or what songs are sung at their memorial. What do I care? I won't be here. No, you won't be here. But others will be here. And we don't want your loved ones to fight over what they think you wanted. We don't want a difference of opinion about whether to continue your treatment or to cremate your body or where to host your memorial service to cause a family fight. You want them to feel confident and empowered to carry out your wishes and not to agonize over hard choices. Consider that telling people what you want is not you being a control freak. And I think that's what people are afraid of. Well, what do I care? I don't want to control it all. It's not that. It is you freeing your family from even more decisions when they should be processing their own sadness and grief. Similarly, making plans for your worldly possessions is also a gift. Making choices about where your home, your car, your money, life insurance will go to family, to charities, to the fellowship. Those documents are needed, not only because they provide clear instructions, but because they free your loved ones from making even more choices or struggling through court battles to determine where your last gifts will go. The Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, died in 2018 without any will or trust to her fortune. Franklin's niece, Sabrina Garrett Owens, was appointed to be the executor of the estate. An article in Forbes magazine says this about Franklin's family situation. Quote, the big question will be whether the family can continue to agree as the estate administration begins. Under Michigan law, all four of Aretha's children are equal beneficiaries to the estate, but they do not have an equal say on how the estate is administered. To the contrary, Owens now has all decision-making power. She can solicit input from Aretha's sons if she wants to, but the decisions are hers to make and hers alone. And those decisions were difficult. How are Aretha's many royalties to be managed? What should be done about the expected numerous offers for sanctioned movies, documentaries, books, specials about Aretha's life? Should Aretha's songs be used for commercials? If so, what kind? 
Should her image be licensed to sell products? The article goes on and on about the legal and financial ramifications of the fact that Aretha Franklin had no will when she died. Now it's my assumption that none of us has the kind of estate that the Queen of Soul had. If you do, be sure to list the fellowship in your estate plans. <laughs> kidding, not kidding. In reality, no matter our estate, we should all be doing that. We should be making these plans and listing the fellowship in them. But the fact remains that the questions, plans, problems, dragged out court proceedings can be prevented with a simple document. We'll hear and see more in a little bit about some resources that our Generosity Ministries team has assembled for you to assist in these plans, both for estate planning as well as for funeral and disposition planning. As the air turns cold and the veil between the living and the dead grows thin, we welcome those spirits of those who have passed from life and we pray that they are well rested. We also take this time as the holidays approach and we prepare to gather with friends and family to let them know about our own end of life wishes to avoid becoming a restless, haunting ghost ourselves. Amen, and may it be so.